Hello and welcome to the Geneva Health Files podcast. I am Preeti Patnaik, the founding editor of Geneva Health Files, a weekly investigative newsletter that explores power and politics in global health. If you have been following the most recent discussions in Geneva, you will recall that in June 2022, the World Trade Organization adopted a decision at its 12th ministerial conference that could potentially help facilitate easier production of COVID-19 vaccines. This was the outcome of a 20-month-long discussion at the WTO on the so-called TRIPS waiver that began in October 2020. But ultimately, what resulted this summer was a rather narrow legal mechanism, which is essentially just a clarification of rules that already exist in the WTO TRIPS agreement. To take a step back and understand the significance of the TRIPS waiver discussions and the limited outcome it resulted in, I turned to Susan K. Sell, an acclaimed academic and an internationally renowned expert on intellectual property who has long examined and explored the nature of the TRIPS agreement and the politics at the WTO. Sell is a professor at the School of Regulation and Global Governance at the Australian National University and Emeritus Professor of Political Science and International Affairs at George Washington University. She has published widely on the politics of intellectual property, including on private power, public law, global governance and public health. We caught up with her at the Geneva Graduate Institute during her recent visit to Switzerland this July. We hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks so much for joining us today. What do you think is the political significance of the TRIPS waiver discussions that lasted 20 months, but eventually resulted in a rather narrow mechanism, essentially clarifications of existing flexibilities. Given your work and and the historical role of the WTO as a citadel of IP protection, how bold do you think was this proposal from South Africa and India? I thought their proposal was very good. I thought it was timely. It was certainly well justified in the face of a global pandemic in which it wasn't just vaccines that were a problem, but also shortages of personal protective equipment and um, all the things that they were asking, medical devices, therapeutics. So I thought it was an extremely reasonable set of requests. And I was quite hopeful that during a global pandemic, that if there was going to be any movement on this issue, it would be with COVID-19. We all lived through the HIV-AIDS negotiations back in the late 1990s, early 2000s. And what ended up as the Doha Declaration was very disappointing. It just clarified that countries could use flexibilities that were already in the TRIPS agreement. And it also created a very complicated convoluted mechanism for exporting generic drugs to countries that did not manufacture them. That's only been ever used once. Very clunky mechanism. So that was very disappointing. But I did get my hopes up in COVID with the proposal that was put forward for the TRIPS waiver. I am, of course, very disappointed in the outcome. 
but I'm also not at all surprised. Disappointed, yes, not surprised, but I do think, apart from the language of the waiver, broadening the conversation is really important. I think words really matter. If you go back and look at the legacy of the failed efforts to get a really strong mechanism for making affordable HIV AIDS drugs available and up through the Doha Declaration, ever since those debates, you cannot talk about intellectual property without talking about public health. So I think words matter. These things take a long time. The power dynamics are very asymmetrical and you can't expect it to move in a day, but I think the conversation has shifted forever. And I think the broadening of the set of demands in the most recent negotiations has put them on the table in a way that it'll be difficult to stop talking about them going forward. So that's a positive thing. I think the bigger conversation is there and can't be avoided. I'm also 100% sure that there will be many more pandemics to come. And looking back at all the unnecessary death under COVID-19, I'm hoping that policymakers and manufacturers will understand the gravity and the importance and the urgency of having better responses to avoid unnecessary deaths because the numbers of COVID unnecessary deaths are just staggering. Multiple causes behind that, but some of it does have to do with intellectual property and the right to exclude others from making, producing PPE. I think 3M has over 400 patents on their N95 masks. These are obstacles for rapid scaling up of production when it's urgently needed to save lives. So I'm hoping, and I, I do believe, that the broader conversations that have continued over these 20 months with a disappointing result will change the conversation going forward just as it did back in 1999-2001. You suggested that you know some of the features of the TRIPS waiver proposal were strong. Is it trade secrets or what certain you know what were some of the provisions you thought were progressive in that sense and, and certainly out of reach eventually? Well, in particular, I would say the menu of asks behind it, all the things that the demanders wanted to have covered under it. So it was the broader coverage, more comprehensive approach to a waiver, not just about producing generic medicines. So it recognized the broader universe of necessary aspects to address a pandemic. What do you think contributed to the failure of these negotiations? Are only rich countries to blame, you know, given their staunch opposition uh, to the original expansive proposal? Or do you think that developing countries should have adopted different negotiating strategies? You mentioned the previous crisis. Were there any lessons from the past that could have been employed in these negotiations? I mean, from my perspective, I tend to look at asymmetrical power and structural imbalance. And from that perspective alone, I think that goes most of the way to explaining the failure rather than a strategic or tactical error on the part of developing countries. What I think is smart and what I think is promising, as we saw one of the lessons we did get, at least that led to the Doha Declaration, 
was shifting forums. So the Doha Declaration, even though it was weak, you know, in the big scheme of things, it still was an important discursive change, um, recognizing that something shouldn't get in the way of protecting public health and patents in particular, even though the declaration didn't have much in terms of teeth. However, what it did show is that you could build a consensus in the World Health Organization that then could be brought in to the World Trade Organization with more legitimacy. So I think that form shifting on the part of civil society actors in developing countries was smart. By the same token now, I think the activities going on in the World Health Organization and negotiations on a pandemic treaty are also smart. And I think the negotiation for a pandemic treaty have the potential to have more punch in the sense that if you're addressing pandemics as a whole, and we're going to get a lot more of them, you really have to address a range of behaviors and a range of practices that go far beyond intellectual property. So I think it's a possibility or the, it has a potential for a more productive dialogue about what we all really have in common when it comes to trying to grapple with pandemics. What I was alluding to perhaps is the perception that the role of the industry in having alliances with some of the domestic industries in developing countries that might have had uh, an impact on how even these countries, including co-sponsors, the way they, they might have approached these uh, negotiations with an emphasis towards voluntary licensing and so on. You know, the world has changed since Doha. So do you think that was a factor why maybe some developing countries were not entirely convinced of waiver of IP protection as an approach to solve the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, I think you're right in the sense that the interests are much more conflicted now than they were back in Doha, where there are some places with domestic capability that um, in the developing world that may have different kinds of interests if they partnered with pharmaceutical firms to develop their industries, or countries like Jordan and famous U.S. Jordan FTA, where big American pharmaceutical firms were able to enter that market not really transferring technology to Jordanians to have domestic capability, but certainly influencing their political lines on some of these issues. So it's a much more variegated landscape than it was back in the day. Yeah. And if, you know, despite the sort of limited outcome that we've had with the WTO ministerial decision with respect to this waiver issue, are there any lessons at all that can be distilled from the you know, last 20 months going forward for the access to medicines movement? Or how potentially do you think developing countries can transpose some of those lessons into pandemic treaty negotiations? Well, I think one of the interesting things that's happened during the pandemic is a number of OECD countries, including Israel, I think the European Commission and France, they either threaten compulsory licensing, issued compulsory licenses, or threatened, I think the EC had threatened pharmaceutical firm for withholding some necessary technology under abusive dominant market position. And once that threat was there, they came through and said, oh, we'll share whatever you need. (laughs) So the fact that the OECD countries are recognizing that these things can be impediments to an effective pandemic response I think should give some 
powerful ammunition for developing countries to point out that you guys realize it's a problem and you took action and we want to take the same kinds of actions that you did. So we share a view that these things could be impediments to effective pandemic response. Just one final question on what you think as milestones in these discussions uh, for the wider movement uh, on the access to medicines, also in the context of the fact that the way capital moves, the way interests have changed. How do you see these discussions progressing? I do feel that the term equity has some, to some extent been co-opted. And I think that the way we talk about equity will have changed forever after this pandemic. How do you see this discussion evolving? Was the TRIPS waiver really a landmark in that sense? No, I don't think it was a landmark. I, I'm very disappointed. But like I said, not surprised. This doesn't look that different than what we've seen the last 20 years in terms of resistance to these kinds of openings. And I thought if there was a moment in time where we could really have potential for a different approach to these issues, it was COVID-19. I was wrong, but there's many pandemics down the pike. That's something we know for sure. Um, partly the fact that the whole world didn't get vaccinated, we're already seeing variants B4 and B5, which are more transmissible. We don't know yet about their effects in long COVID hospitalization, but the story isn't going away and it's going to get worse, whether it's COVID or the next one. So I think that the conversation is going to continue. And I hope that some of the lessons we learn is that we really can't wait to address this in a much more effective way, which means compromise on the part in particular of IP owners. But there is reason for optimism. I like to think so. Otherwise, I'd have a hard time getting out of bed in the morning. Thank you so much. This was really nice. Thank well, you. Been my pleasure. That was Professor Susan K. Sell in conversation with us. The story of the TRIPS waiver discussions is not over. In the coming months, WTO members will again come together to negotiate on whether and how they would expand these agreed rules to also include COVID-19 therapeutics and diagnostics. While we continue to struggle with the pandemic with ever-evolving variants of SARS-CoV-2 virus, there continues to be an urgent need for medicines and tests to protect people everywhere in the world. Do check out our previous episode on the TRIPS waiver from December 2021 on our website. Keep an eye on these negotiations or on the discussions towards a new instrument to govern pandemics at WHO and other headlines from Global Health Geneva. Check out our newsletter on genevahealthfiles.substack.com and follow us on Twitter at Files Geneva. You can also follow me at Brett Pat. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>